There was still no telegram by Tuesday evening, and David made himself late to work Wednesday morning, waiting for the ten o'clock mail. He stood anxiously in the front hall, watching for the mailman through the glass of the front door. Mrs. McCartney, having been told in answer to her question that he was waiting for the mail, asked if it was about his mother. Was she worse? And David said it wasn't his mother. She was about the same. You'll be spending Christmas with her, I suppose, she said with a small Christmas smile. That's right. I certainly will. Then he saw the mailman coming through the light rain and opened the door to meet him. Merry Christmas, said the mailman, and handed David all the mail for the house, two dozen square envelopes that were mostly Christmas cards, some gaudy with wreaths in their corners, a few with the scrawly, uneven writing of the aged and one was Annabelle's. David dropped the other letters on the wicker table and tore open hers. She said she could not see him. He only glanced over the letter, breathing hard with anger, like a nervous child about to burst into tears, his lips open over his set teeth. She thanked him for the diamond clip, bought by mail, sight unseen, from an Olga Tritt advertisement he had seen in a New York newspaper two weeks ago, but said she could not think of accepting it, as it was much too expensive a present. David rushed out the door and turned his face up to the rain as he strode to his car in the alley. At Cheswick, there was only a pretense of work that day. The pockets of white coats bulged with pint bottles. Everyone seemed to be laughing, David thought, once or twice at him. Mechanically, with very little effort, he kept a pleasant look on his face, returned Merry Christmas merrily, and he had not forgotten the present of perfume for Helen, his secretary. David patiently double-checked every matter that he had to attend to that day, aware that he was completely unable to concentrate. Though it was Annabelle in her letter that kept him from concentrating, he was unable to think clearly even about that. In the quiet of the lunch hour, standing by the window in his office, he reread it. What pained him was her attempt to be gentle, to be kind, perhaps because she had known he would get it on Christmas Eve. You must realize it's Xmas, and I have so much to do, but not so much that I don't think of you. Don't let this spoil your Xmas in any way. As if he could even have any kind of Christmas without her. The letter was a combination of haste and tortured thought. Your visit, though I naturally enjoyed seeing you, did not help matters with Gerald, as you can probably imagine. Naturally enjoyed? Why naturally under those circumstances? He stood in Wes's department that afternoon, hoisting beakers filled to the 500cc level with 17-year-old scotch contributed by Mr. Lewison. The bonuses had been generous this year. David's had been a thousand dollars, and everyone felt pleased with himself, with Christmas, with his work, with his boss. David looked at Mr. Lewison's ruddy, solid, merry-with-success face, and realized he had no energy and no passion even to dislike him today. After a sip or two, David poured the rest of his scotch into Wes's willing beaker. 
You wouldn't like to come by after work? Wes asked David for at least the third time. There'll be other people there, not just Laura. She's making eggnog, but you can have coffee. Wes's eyes pleaded with him. Thanks. Not now, David said, unable to manufacture an excuse. Off to your mother, huh? Wes's inflection on mother made David look at him. Oh, I may not go till tomorrow. They have some party planned for tonight, David replied, carrying it off with the boldness of despair. She lives in a nursing home? Yes, David said. There were two nursing homes within an hour's drive of Froudsburg. He had ascertained that before he gave out his story. Not in a house? Wes asked. No, David said firmly. And why do you ask?